evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, the largest single-screen drive-in in the United States. We're certainly glad you could be with us this evening. And don't forget the concession stand is open with all kinds of great things to eat and drink. Mahoning Drive-In Radio, your old friend Virgil back once again for another exciting episode of the podcast. As you guys know, the only podcast dedicated to the love and revival of our beloved drive-in culture. Joined as always by my co-host and general manager extraordinaire, Mark. Say hello, my friend. Hello, my friend. And joined tonight as well by Jeff, King Jeff, projectionist and owner at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. Say hello, Jeff. Hi, everybody. And it's been a while since we have kind of jumped in, just just the three of us. Normally, we've been doing these owner series, talking to owners across the country, which has been so incredibly rewarding. The feedback on it has been incredible, but we are truly in the swing of the season, so we want to make sure that we shine a light on that calendar as well. And I think that's the plan for today, right, Mark? We're going to do a little calendar run. We're going to do a verbal version of the weekly month, I should say monthly calendar that we now put out for our theater. So uh, the short answer is yes. It's crazy to think the growth of the business, but we just started doing these calendars last year. Like, what did we do before that? You know, like it was truly relying on, I think, Facebook and social media and getting the word out. But it's just nuts to me that we just started doing calendars, you know, year eight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're figuring this puppy out <laughs> yeah yeah eventually we'll learn how to run a theater <laughs> next year we're going to turn the sound on oh, i'll boy. tell you i can't wait <laughs> pictures talk yeah but we have been seeing such amazing support this season you know for the first month that we've been open we used to say that Zombie Fest is the beginning of our season, or, you know, for folks out there not familiar, Memorial Day is the kickoff for a lot of drive-ins uh, to start welcoming their audiences. But as soon as our gate opens in April, it's like people are so ready to come back and support. And we had some killers in May, man. That Muppets event was gigantic. Just so people know, timestamp. We are about to roll into our first weekend of June. Uh, so by the time this hits your ears, we will have played Teen Wolf and Silver Bullet this Friday and American Werewolf in London and The Howling on Saturday. And uh, I'll say it now because, you know, we're in the future. How about that Pee Wee event, guys? That crowd that we got <laughs> for the toy show? Oh, my God. We had 11 proposals and four live births. I would never have a fuck. <laughs> on a sunday but oh boy you never know you just never know the support never know our texas chainsaw massacre 2 event kicks off our june tunnel vision tuesday series but why don't we get into the meat of it freaky friday kind of wrote itself the original freaky friday and the Lindsay lohan jamie lee curtis freaky friday so where do you guys fall with these movies well, I saw the original 1976 Freaky Friday that's Jodie Foster and Barbara Harris. Yes, of course. I saw that on TV as a kid. I always loved it. That was that was a the, the Disney live action movies I really liked as a kid. And I, I grew up in the tail end of those still being an ongoing thing. Disney animation kind of went away for a while and they were just cranking out these live action movies all the time. And they were fun. And they often would have like a chase scene or really wacky sequences that almost felt like they were animated. They were so 
creatively done. Um, I actually never saw the remake. I'm, I'm not big on remakes in general. This is funny enough. This is essentially a remake double take. Our first, this is like our first non-branded, non-horror sci-fi remake double That's take. That's true, yes. You have so the same story told decades later with uh, Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis in 2003, which I've never seen. So this theoretically will appeal to two different audiences. You know, the, the people who saw that when they were kids and the kids or grandkids of people who saw the original. Yeah, yeah. the thought yeah. behind it is, you know, this really does give both audiences the opportunity to come out. And we talked about it before we hit record. We always try to appease the family audience. And by family, I mean just not zombies, you know, and hardcore horror. So this is one of those events where it was like, okay, it's a perfect pairing, double. Let's give it a shot and see see how it sticks. To be honest, the, the original for me was the one that we would watch all the time and the remake it just it i, I don't i i know i've seen it but it's not one that i go back to revisit but i know it is uh loved for sure it's the choice of a different generation there it is yeah, yeah. and we, we should point out that it is very unique to have the ability to even show these in a theater because disney has very strict rules about who can show their repertory films when and the answer is not many people so because you're right all retro. If you run first run, you can't run. If you run first run Disney, you can't run retro Disney with very few exceptions. Uh, we're not first run. We're all retro. So we're able to run these films. And this is probably, they're probably original release prints. I think that's what we found so far with everything except maybe, I think everything except Mary Poppins have been original release prints mm -hmm. that we're running. So you're seeing the yeah. same piece of plastic that light passed through in 1976 in 2023 if you come out to the Freaky Friday Double. I'm excited to be able to deliver something unique and kind of anti-Mahoning in a weird way. And that's that was a conscious choice. We talk about it all the time, the three of us, on, um, you know, the booking efforts on it. We can't just be the hard drive-in. We can't just be the one-note band, you know? We have to right. kind of pick it up and try some new tunes now and then to uh, to pull in an even deeper audience. And we've found great success in that you know the muppets event may not have worked two years ago but because the stars aligned it really really worked this year and one is was one of our best family events yet so you don't know that until you try it right eventually we have to move forward a little bit because our audience constantly gets older even the kids 10 years from now will be teenagers and so we got to start reaching forward a little bit, at least every now and then, like you said, to find that new audience. Absolutely. Do you have a history with this movie, Jeff, or the remake? No, uh, the original one I'm sure I saw, but I can't remember a lot about it. I know I did not see the remake, so I can't add too much to that. It's funny because I remember we would watch this, The Parent Trap, all the time. Yes. And they both had remakes right around the same time. So it's like if you were a... You know, a kid my age, it's like you couldn't avoid these two properties. They were they were like right, right in front of you, you know. And Lindsay yeah. Lohan was also the star or two of the stars of the Parent Trap remake. Yeah, there you go. It's like, you know, the, the Lohan train was moving. So we've seen some good success playing uh, Lindsay Lohan movies. So we hope people come out and uh, appreciate this one in a big way. And in, in true Mahoning fashion, you know, we make that right turn right away onto Saturday with Cusack Attack. This is one we've been talking about forever. It had different names. Uh, if you remember back in the Matt days, Mark, when we talked about this, 
Matt would always say sack fest. And I was like, I don't know if that'll sell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, you yeah. have a hacky sack tournament. <laughs> exactly. But uh, we are doing really, I think, what is the beginning of the Cusack fever? Better off dead and one crazy summer. Mark, is Better Off Dead Cusack's first film, or is it just his first leading role? I, I'm not 100%. I know he did The Sure Thing somewhere around this time. Uh, it wasn't his first movie because he had been in other films before this. He was in had a bit part in Weird Science. This is the first movie I consciously remember seeing him in. I saw this movie when it came out. Certain phrases and lines from this movie permanently became part of my family's vocabulary. I want my $2, uh, French dressing, on and on and on and on. <laughs> um, I've seen this movie a million times. I, it's one of my favorite movies, period. I will take this movie over the complete, this is, I know this is controversial. I will take Better Off Dead over the complete works of John Hughes. I love Better Off Dead. It always, wow, yeah. Sensibility spoke to me. It, it, the, the Lane Meyer character spoke to me so much more than the people. Not that the John Hughes movies aren't great. But this always seemed a bit more <laughs> grounded in reality seems ridiculous because this guy, this whole thing is about this yeah. guy daydreams and flights of fancy. But it's one of the funniest movies of the 80s. It's got a great soundtrack. I guess we should probably say we have secured for us a video introduction by Diane Franklin, who plays Monique in this film. The French exchange student herself is uh, gracing us with an intro. So, so excited about this whenever we've been able to. Uh, connect the dots with the fandom and the stars it's like it's such a treat it really is and she was so game she said i don't want to spoil it for anybody but she goes all all in so definitely worth coming out to check that one out you know cusack you know this is this is a deep well and we could keep this it's like the tom hanks event that we did hanksgiving right where there's so much meat on the bone where do you go but this was the perfect early Cusack double and, and they're connected people don't know one crazy summer most people don't it's just about as good as better off dead it's this it's savage Steve Holland it's the same director a lot of the same actors Curtis Armstrong is in it who played Charles DeMar in the original a lot of it's it's not a sequel it's not the same character but it might as well be I mean, yeah. the character that Cusack plays in One Crazy Summer is more or less the same guy. He's this guy who wants to be a cartoonist. He's uh, he's a basketball star, and he goes off to Nantucket for uh, for a summer, and he just meets up with wacky people, including Bob Goldthwait and John Matuzak, who played Sloth in The Goonies. And it's just it's super funny. It's got a great soundtrack, and it's it's if you like Better Off Dead, you will love One Crazy Summer. Yeah, and this is such a treat. You know, when when we talked about doing this, it was like, man, can we get it? Can we get it? And uh, we were lucky enough to get this one on 35 millimeter. It's worth mentioning that Better Off Dead, we fought and went every corner of, of the collector globe. And we cannot find a print of this puppy. But you can't really do One Crazy Summer without Better Off Dead. So... <laughs> And I, so, I should mention that Demi Moore is the co-star of Better Off, of One Crazy Summer, which was like just about just before she exploded and became super famous. And that's the thing. It was almost like for her, you know, what Better Off Dead did for Cusack, where it's like, this kid's a superstar. And all of a sudden he's in everything, leading roles, all that. But yeah. that'll be a really, really fun one. Um, and then we jump into the 11th of June as we welcome back our good friend Greg Sestero. Uh, co-star of The Room, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. 
35 millimeter we did play the room once i believe it was 2020 during the pandemic if i'm not mistaken greg did come out but at that point we didn't have access to the print as you guys probably assume pretty yeah. limited run on the room <laughs> <laughs> but we are lucky enough to uh have the archive print so we will be showing the room in all of its 35 millimeter glory <laughs> great fantastic I wonder yeah. if it played more than one theater on film. I, I guess, I mean, in its original run. Didn't it really just play like one theater in L.A. and then the it that was the, out of that? Yeah, that was the big story of it was, you know, Hollywood really embraced this movie as celebrities started to show up to this, you know, kind of midnight screening theater and support this movie in a big way. And then it just became so cult. 20 years. That's I remember talking about this. You know, it was that thing that people handed around in school where you're like, you'll never believe that this is a movie. <laughs> if you don't know what The Room is, uh, it was immortalized in a film about the making of the film that starred uh, James Franco called The Disaster Artist, based on a book that I believe Greg Sestero co-wrote. And it is this bizarrely earnest uh, drama, romantic drama about friends and a room. And it's it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it just boy you had as you started said, you it started a movie. wave of like you know movies that are so bad they're they're uh not good but they're like you have to see them you know it became a draw and almost this like freak show act where it's like you gotta see this you've gotta see this yeah and you know 20 years later the the fact that this thing is still pulling in audiences that are just like so into it it's become very cult where people will show up to screenings at certain lines they will do certain things very shadow cast you know and i think when you get into that mode that midnight screening mode that cult gets even thicker you know where you're like all right i found my like-minded weirdos who get down with this movie you know it's I don't know. It's kind of perfect for us to play. You know, it's the uh... say what yeah. you will about Tommy Wiseau and Sestero, who, who you know, were behind this movie. People are still talking about it. You know, yeah. a lot of movies with a lot more in quotes, talent and money behind them get forgotten. And this didn't. So I, I do respect, even though I think it's it's not good. It is entertaining for what it, for maybe not the reason it was intended to be. But people are still talking about it. People are still paying to see this 20 years later in the theater. So, you know, congrats to anybody who can make a movie that's, that hangs around like that. I think it's because there was never really anything else done like that, especially at that time. You're right. I mean, it was it was the tenacity thing. I always say, like, Clerks is the movie that launched a thousand ships because it showed people that, like, hey, if this counts... I'm going to go try it. And I imagine the room has the same appeal where it's like, okay, you know, this thing lives out there, has a life, has fans. And it's, you yeah. know, it's, it's infamously not good, but that's, what's good about it. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. such a strange dynamic, but you know, uh, we just booked a very popular video game movie for our video game event that people infamously think is terrible. Custer's Revenge. Yeah, <laughs> Deep but it has a it has a cult following, and if you saw it at a certain time, it it's it's perfectly for you. It's strange how movies do that; they almost capture their audience, even if they uh, 
have no right to. <laughs> right. They capture their audience and they drag them right along with them. That's right. That's right. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, it, it, we like to keep things eclectic. Tunnel Vision Tuesday is the perfect excuse for us to lean into genre classics as uh, Exune Films co-presents with us every single week. And that's the case as we jump into the 13th of June with John Woo's Bullet in the Head. I cannot say enough about this movie. I went down the John Woo rabbit hole, as we talked about on the podcast in the off season and revisiting his filmography. Boy, this one really, really pops. This is one of my favorites. It's not the action extravaganza that you usually think of for a John Woo movie. It's a lot more drama, but it's so good. I mean, I would put it, you know, people always talk about his best and it's always, you know, the killer and hard boiled. I would put this right up in league with those. This was made between the two films. Killer was, what, I think, 89-ish? Yeah. And Hard Boiled, I believe, was 92. This is 1990. And um, I want to say, if I'm remembering correctly, John Woo made A Better Tomorrow, which is a great movie. He made A Better Tomorrow 2, which is very good. And then I believe Choi Hawk went off and made Bullet, uh, made uh, Better Tomorrow 3. And I believe what it was said was that this is the movie that John Woo made to sort of say, well, this is the better Tomorrow 3 I would have made, which is a prequel to the first two movies, even though it's not this necessarily the same cast. It's spiritually the prequel to the better Tomorrow movies that he would have wanted to make. And it's just it is it is a movie that may leave you with a tear in your eye. A lot, a lot of gunplay. He does have the stylish violence and the bullet ballet stuff going on, but it's a really, really good heavy drama about a group of friends in Vietnam during the Vietnam War who are trying, or they go to Vietnam. I guess they're Chinese, Hong Kong citizens who go to Vietnam to try to make fast bucks, and uh, things really don't go well for them. Yeah, it's it's heady. It's got real tragedy on top of the, you know, insane violence, like you said, what John Woo is known for, that kind of operatic uh, violence. But I'm just so excited anytime that we can bring things like this to the screen. We've tried to do Kung Fu Nights. We've tried to do, um, you know, other things that really just don't stick on weekends. But yeah. this, this is kind of the perfect thing to play on a Tuesday. People will make a point to come out and see it because they do love it so, so much. It's, it's their genre, you know? So yeah. I'm really excited to uh, let this one wash over us on the big screen and it should be mentioned i've said it many times but the draw for me on tuesdays are that extended trailer reel the last time we played a john woo movie um the trailers were just bonkers you know title i love harry because he pulls out titles you know people haven't thought of in generations decades you know yeah and I see people pulling out their phones, looking it up, you know, marking say, it on their letterbox. <laughs> you, start adding, you start adding things to your list when he does those extended trailer reels, because it's bizarre to me that, you know, I love trailers. I've bought every trailer compilation that's come out in the last couple decades. And still there are trailers for movies I've never heard of. And the Hong Kong, Hong Kong in the late mid to late 80s into the mid 90s was just the best for action hole. Yeah. Insanity. And it, it point out too that this is a film that never screens anywhere. You know, the Wu movies don't screen much as it is anyway, but most people, if they're going to play a John Wu movie, they're going to play, they're going to play Hard Target or they're going to play The Killer or Hard Boiled. But this one never gets played. And honestly, it's, it's one of his best films. Yeah. Really, yeah. really excited for that one. So mark your calendars. That's going to be a great one. 
Uh, then we welcome in our uh, good friend Grady Hendricks on the 16th and 17th and uh, for our haunted house party with Exhumed Films. Let's just talk about Grady for a second. So I met Grady in 2015, maybe 2016. He came out for, uh, was it Camp Blood or Zombie Fest? One of our annual big annuals with Harry. And he had just released Paperbacks from Hell, which I think was, what, his second or third book? Something like that? I think that. it might have even been before. I know he came out with My Best Friend's Exorcism because I bought a copy from him. And I think That's that right. Was, was pa Paperbacks, Paperbacks wasn't before that? That came out after that. Oh, wow. So, yeah, def I remember getting uh, my Paperbacks from Hell signed, getting the Girlfriend's Exorcism poster, which we still have signed. But to see Grady blow up the way that he has over the last couple years for those who aren't familiar grady is a renowned author who now has all of his works being optioned by hollywood uh so you're going to be seeing a lot of uh product coming out with the grady hendrix name at the bottom of it and we feel so lucky to have him back and to see him have such incredible success over the last couple of years. Do you have a personal relationship with Grady, Mark? Or is it... Uh, you know, he's very good friends with my friend Paul Kazee, who does uh, the Dead Till Dawn drive yes. with the highway in Kaksaki, and he used to do programming, or still does, for Proctor's Theater in uh, Schenectady. They've known each other for years. They helped co-found the New York Asian Film Festival in this thing, Subway Cinema, that they do. They still do screenings all the time of Hong Kong uh, and Asian martial arts movies. So I know him through Paul. I mean, I, I know we're not really like we're not friends, but, you know, we know of each other. But um, it, it is amazing to see how he's taken off with a guy who I'm like, oh, I've got a friend who writes books. And now it's like, yeah, and they made a movie out of Satanic Panic and they're making a movie out of my best friend's exorcism. And I, I want to say his latest uh, How to Sell a Haunted House, which is what this event is kind of built around. That's already, I believe, it's a New York Times bestseller, as they all are. And I think it was just optioned by a company that has Sam Raimi behind it. So... Come on. And I think he's writing the screenplay for this, too. So, yeah, Grady is, is doing really well. And he's f super nice and super funny. He does these shows based around his books where he'll tell stories and talk about other books and joke around and show uh, book, old paperback covers and things like that. He came out with Chris Pajali because they co-wrote this book, great book called These Fists Break Bricks, which is about Hong Kong uh, martial arts movies in America. And they did a pre-show for when we ran Enter the Dragon that was all like a slideshow with talking about all the different Bruce Lee knockoff movies. He came out for a Camp Blood with when he had Final Girl Support Group, did a whole presentation about that. And uh, I believe he's coming out for this show, too. Yeah, that's the word on the streets. And he's doing something similar. He's going to be doing an intro before each night, kind of part of his show, which people always eat up hearing this guy talk about film and his work is is always a treat but we're also playing movies believe it or not on friday night triple feature poltergeist legend of hell house burnt offerings man that is a stacked list i'll never forget the first time that i saw poltergeist it very much was the experience of watching the exorcist it opens up your eye to an unknown terror that you never thought existed. The idea of, you know, getting sucked into your closet into a different dimension just seems uh, unrealistic unless you are a, you know, naive child that just <laughs> falls right down that rabbit hole and is like, I'm never opening a closet. <laughs> I first saw it when it hit HBO for the first time and the scene where the guy is in the mirror in the bathroom. Oh my God. Blew my mind and horrified me. 
Dude, and it is. The scene at the end of the pool was just terrifying. Yeah, it's it's done so well. It's masters at work with that film. And man, that mirror scene, it's all coming back with him kind of tearing at his face. Jesus. It was, now I, I want to say the last time I watched it, maybe it, it didn't play as horrifying because I could sort of see how it was done, but not expecting that and being, what was that, 1982? I was eight at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's one that we have brought back several times. It's it's a movie that delivers. You could say, you know, there's heavy hitters in the horror genre. That is one of those titles that is absolutely marquee. The marquee draw of the night for sure. Where do you fall on Hell House? That's one I saw. Uh, I know I rented it. And that was the one thing I remember about Hell House is that um, I one of the things I love about the home video era in the 80s was that it was returned to like ballyhoo hucksterism in trying to sell a movie where sometimes you'd take a picture that really has little to do with the movie and you'd slap that on the cover because it was the most marketable element of it. <laughs> the cover right. of The Legend of Hell House is a still from the movie of somebody with a really like cut up and like messed up face. That is in the movie for like 10 frames, if even. Like when I watched the movie, I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't even, it's barely even in the movie, but that's the cover. It's yeah. like, it is, it is very akin. It almost feels like a, a, a soft remake of another film we're showing, The Haunting, in that, but it's set in the 70s. So it's early 70s. It's paranormal investigators going into a house and coming up against, you know, demonic forces. It's just, it's good. It's a good, solid haunted house movie, which is what we're talking about this weekend. Yeah. It's a nice twist, too, because uh, from what I remember of it, there were a bunch of people who died in the house, like unexplained deaths. And that's how this thing kind of rolls off. But it's a classic, you know, and one that, again, doesn't get screened all the time. So we're really, really excited to bring that one to the big screen. And Burnt Offerings. Where do you guys fall on Burnt Offerings? You ever seen this puppy? I saw it on TV as a kid. It was a Saturday afternoon. One of the Boston TV stations would always run horror movies in the afternoons. So yeah. I, I equate so much horror of my youth growing up and, and discovering movies with daytime. So I, I always like what I call daylight horror, which are horror movies that are set in, in the light. I always say there's nothing scarier than something coming at you in the cold light of day. There's no question that thing's coming at you and it's going to get you. Uh, it Follows did that really well. And uh, Burnt Offerings kind of has a lot of that going on. It's this nice family who rents this old house from this elderly couple who lives there and uh, it, the house just ain't right. There's something yeah, something's up with this house. <laughs> and James as this super creepy chauffeur character. You've got Betty Davis, uh, as I like to say, slumming, and uh, Burgess Meredith, and uh, Oliver Reed, who's just always sweaty and looks like he's about to explode. <laughs> it's so it's like, true. Looks like Michael Ironside is scare is staring him down. His head's about to pop. And then you've got uh, Karen Black, directed by Dan Curtis, who did the Dark Shadows TV series and yes. movies and the Night yeah. Stalker TV series right before this. So and it's got I, I want to say Robert Cobert did the who did the music for Dark Shadows and Night Stalker also did the music for this. So it's a great 70s horror movie. It is really fantastic. I don't know what it is about Karen Black, but something about her just it freaks me out. I don't know if it's her eyes. They're just very she just has this thing about her, you know, but she's got a different face. Yeah. She does have a different face, yeah, um, but this movie is so incredibly effective. And when it comes to haunted house movies, you know, there's it's a deep well, but this is one where the performance are so uh, performances are so stellar. Did you mention Burgess Meredith? 
I did. He was also in The Sentinel the next year. Another great, weird, haunted kind of movie. And Karen Black actually was in Dan Curtis's uh, trilogy of terror like a year or so before. That's that. right. Yep. That's the last time I think she hit our screen. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a nice cherry on top at the end of uh, a nice long night and, and one that is truly creepy. So I love doing these horror events and digging up some stuff that you know, doesn't always get the play. It's like you get to revisit your nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> and then we jump into night two, the 17th, with The Haunting, The Changeling, and Poltergeist 2. Let me in. Let <laughs> me in. That freaked me out. That guy. commercials on TV Jeez. that freaked me out. Yeah. <laughs> That face is enough to uh, to sell a ticket. That is for sure. You're like, what is this horrifying movie? Why don't you get into it, Mark? What is the uh, differences between Poltergeist and Poltergeist 2? Well, um, let us also go back to the other two because I have things to say about those. Oh, Poltergeist, for sure. Poltergeist 2, uh, well, it's the other side. Poltergeist 2 is actually similar <laughs> in, in an idea to the, the sequel book to the horror, which was the family got the hell out of Dodge, but the the horror followed them. So in yeah. Poltergeist 2, I believe the idea is they've moved like pretty far away, or a few states away at least. I think, I want to say this is like Southwest, whereas it was California in the first one. Right. And uh, the evil has followed them. And this time the evil has something to, there's Will Sampson who plays like a, an Indian, who was the guy from, uh, he was the guy from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest who played the Native American in that. He is in this and plays some of the Native American shaman who's trying to help the family. So he's sort of like the Zelda Rubenstein character, uh, but you know he wears a different size dress. And you have uh, Julian, what's his name? I want to say Julian Bond, but that's not the guy. But Julian, I can't think of his last name. Who's the who's this the creepy guy? Who's essentially like, isn't he like a a Joseph Smith kind of character? He's some like religious cult leader who who led his flock off into the desert and they all died or something and that's got something yes. to do with this movie i don't remember the details of it i just remember that creepy old guy yeah it, it's it's, <laughs> it's enough to freak anybody out i mean like i said that is the trailer moment where you're like what is with this creepy like skeleton looking man with the black hat you know yeah it's, uh, it's actually I saw this at a drive-in now that I think about it. Nice. I saw this at a drive-in. It had, this is weird. This, this is, this doesn't happen much anymore these days, but it was on film. Obviously it was the Claremont drive-in in Claremont, New Hampshire, where I went. We went to see something else. I, I think we went to see Cannonball Run. No, it was, uh, this was 87. We went to see Spaceballs and this was the first movie playing that night. And the print was so beat up and so ragged that it would jump from like the middle of a scene to the middle of another scene like it was wow and it had already played like bad people. it's it was bad and what was weird though is like it had already i i had already seen this movie on cable like it was already on hbo and this was the first feature that night so drive-in still used to do that at that point they would the first feature might still be something that had been around a lot if not already on cable and home video by that point so yeah yeah i saw this at a drive-in that's wild. Well, you know, when it comes to haunted house movies, I don't think any are better or more effective than Robert Wise's The Haunting. You get to see Russ Tamblin again on the big screen, which I'm super excited about. Where do you guys fall with The Haunting, one of, oh God, the most effective horror movies out there? I don't want to say it's my favorite horror movie, but it's it's very at the top. Very much it's hard not to watch it and not 
fall in love with it. I say it's very much like the Night of the Hunter, where you fall in love with somebody's artistry immediately. I mean, Robert Wise, he edited Citizen Kane. He was the director of Sound of Music, West Side Story, Day the Earth Stood Still, this, and uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Uh, you know, I know what you want to say, but what has he done lately? <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a master and it is so unbelievably atmospheric and creepy. Whenever people say, what's a horror movie I should watch? This is always the first thing I say. Yeah, it was like remade if you in haven't the 90s. seen this. The, the remake is garbage. Burn the remake. But the original is unbelievably good based on uh, The Haunting of Hill House, which was made into a Netflix series recently. A Sherry, yep. a Sherry Jackson. <laughs> That's somebody else a Shirley Jackson novel that is going to be the subject at that show of Sandy's book club. Yeah. So excited. I mean, it's amazing how we've been tapping the literary crowd, you know, it's, it's something that we did. We didn't necessarily go chasing after, but this season is very, um, very heavy when it comes to the, uh, the, the writers. So not only do we have uh, Grady coming out, we got Carl Gottlieb coming out. We started our book club this year, so Dave, yeah. if you're a fan, you know, you can really lean into that hard. And and what I what I like is I hope that some of that book crowd will become movie crowd. Oh yeah. I think that it's a natural crossover and yeah. especially yeah. with what we offer, a lot of people have said this is a, a much deeper appreciation for film when you go and see it at the Mahoning. I right. think that's the case even when we don't add the bells and whistles because of the format. But you add in a deeper appreciation, and those are the people who will take the step to find out if this has source material, find out if there's a book made of it, read it and really get into it. So we've been seeing a, a lot of really great response, and I think it's it's an easy crossover, a lover of good storytelling and a lover of the Mahoney. So. Yep. I don't want to skip it, The Changeling. So, The Changeling, have we ever played The Changeling in our run? I don't know if we have. I don't think so. I don't think so. But The Changeling is another one of those movies that will horrify you and stick stick with you. I saw it when I was running the video store, and there are just moments in this movie that catch you off guard, catch you by surprise, you know? Have you ever seen this one, Jeff? No, I don't believe I have. I, I showed it. I ran it, I'm pretty sure, but I never got a chance to sit down and watch it. It's so, so good. Yeah, George C. Scott, from what I remember of it, his wife and daughter, I think, die in a car crash. And he goes off to this, like, mansion. And, you know, same situation. What, there's something not right in this house. Right. <laughs> uh, but incredibly effective. And George C. Scott at this time, like... Everybody thinks of George C. Scott as a certain type, but he becomes unhinged in this movie, which <laughs> is really great to see. Not quite hardcore unhinged, but unhinged nonetheless. Yeah. Oh, I that, was just that's hardcore. Mention, I know. I was just going to mention hardcore because that was something else. When he's in that movie theater and he yeah. practically pulls the chair out of the cement in front of him. Oh my gosh, that's he's a great freaking movie. Out. That and Boogie yeah. Nights would be a really interesting double feature for people who don't want to. Long, have, long, but great. Long, but, you know, yeah. not happy. Um, <laughs> there's a great Canadian coldness to The Changeling. It was shot in Canada, shot in the yeah. wintertime. Uh, I kind of hope it's chilly that night so you can get that Chillerama shock yeah. going on. Because it's just coldness in terms of how well, the environment visually is, but also coldness in just 
the desolation and the, the, the isolation of this widower, or what do you call it when you lose a, a child too? This lonely man. And uh, it's just, it's a great big old haunted house movie. Severin Films put it out on Blu-ray a while back and it came with a little inflatable rubber ball, which uh, if you've seen the movie or once you see the movie, you'll know why that was kind of a, a neat little tchotchke. But The Changeling, it's, I think is one of the best horror movies of the 80s. People don't talk about it because it's not a slasher movie. It's a very quiet movie, but yeah. it's a perfect movie to come right after The Haunting. Yeah, it's this is one of those triples where it's like, gosh, you could pick any one of those, come and watch just that, and be fully satisfied with your your uh, your night out. But the fact yeah. that all three is just such a treat. This so might be one of the best lineups we've had in a long time. In in terms of every movie is a hundred percent solid. It is, yeah, really excited about it. So. Last year, we launched a new ship as we programmed to Mother's Day. And we did, what did we call that event last year, Mark? Mommy Issues. And this year, we're booking to Father's Day with Daddy Issues. Uh, as we show the stepfather on 35 millimeter. Before we get into the movie, I'll just, I'll, I'll talk briefly about what happened with the stepfather. Camp Blood 4? We were set to show The Stepfather when we had Jill Sholin as our guest of honor at Camp Blood. And uh, to our surprise, we were sent the remake of The Stepfather. And when it hit the screen, it was pretty apparent that we did not have the right title. But yeah. that is something that has become somewhat legend at the Mahoning. So we're really excited to bring it back as a standalone ode where people can come and truly appreciate Terry O'Quinn in all of his madness. So pretty much the story behind this is that a wife and daughter, the wife starts dating this man. The daughter is very kind of question, uh, questionable about who he is and, and all that. And turns out that he's got a deeper past than anybody could have imagined. We enjoyed this at the 24 hour. Am I right? 24 hour fest. I believe so. Yeah, the last one that we were all at, or the one before that. Time is is just a big blur. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, but this is a crowd pleaser to say the least. It just delivers from beginning to end, and uh, I don't know. It's was this a big uh, like HBO movie when it came out? I caught it later, so but I it seems so. like it would be. I remember it being this movie being a hit more not in theaters, more in the video store, home video, HBO era. It spawned a bunch of sequels. Somebody said that when we were announcing this, that they thought the second one was actually pretty good. One of them is called Stepfather. I think if it's, it might be two, it might be three, but let's say it's two. Stepfather 2, Make Room for Daddy, which I think is kind of funny. That's fantastic. And Terry, <laughs> you know, Terry O'Quinn had been around for a while, but this was the movie that sort of his first big role. And then people kind of tended to forget about this. And when Lost came out, they were like, this guy's a revelation. And I'm like, he's the stepfather. Yeah, it's, it's, it is one of those performances. You get to see him play two dynamic sides of a character. He's troubled mentally, but you get to see this kind of clean cut, uh, convincing homebody. And then you get to see this kind of psychotic, murderous psychopath. And for any actor, this is just such a thick sandwich to bite into, you know? And he knocks it out the park. Is he in all of those Stepfather sequels or eventually were they like, okay, he pretty much made that series? I don't know. I 
I kind of think maybe he wasn't in anything. I'm pretty sure he's in the second one. I do not believe he's in the third one. A lot of people know him from Lost. He came back later yeah. and was like a doctor or something in Lost. But yeah, really, really excited uh, to be able to show this one. And again, perfect angle with it being on Father's Day. So if you guys want to come out and uh, enjoy that one, mark your calendars for June 18th. Eclectic Tuesdays this year. We're trying to spread the wings a bit. And Harry's been doing a great job with the programming on Tuesdays. On June 20th, not what you'd expect as we go into National Lampoon's Vacation. I know where you guys fall with this one. I love this. This movie, this movie is one of the funniest movies to come out uh, of the era and, and just is a stone cold classic has delivered so many sequels, a franchise, if you will, and is so beloved. Gosh, I could go into all the, the memorable moments, but uh, where do you guys fall with vacation? I saw it in the theater when it was new. My uncle took me to see this in the theater. It was, an, it was always a thrill because I was, what, nine when this came out. And it was an R-rated movie, and it had everything you want in an R-rated movie. And it was like a, it was like I was getting away with something. Because I kind of, I guess I was, watching you know this raunchy National Lampoon, back when that meant something over a title. And it was just the funniest thing. And again, there are things in here that became part of my family's lexicon of, of references for the rest of you know our, our lives the the lindsey buckingham theme song and end theme which are yes. great and i mean don't discount dancing across the usa that's a pretty darn good song too everybody just remembers holiday road <laughs> it spawned many many sequels none of which i think can hold a candle although i think christmas vacation is great in its own as a family comedy but this is like like another film that i'm not going to mention that we are playing as a tunnel vision tuesday coming up it started as an R-rated movie for grown-ups, and it was so wildly popular that the rating got softer and softer as it went. So ultimately, by the last movie, I think it was just a flat PG by the time Vegas Vacation rolled along. But right. nothing can touch the original. It's great. I, it blows my mind that this movie is 40 years old because I think yeah. time in terms of when I was a kid. And when I was a kid in the 80s, 40 years ago was the 1940s, and that's a different planet. I don't feel like things have changed <laughs> that much since 83, but maybe I just don't pay attention. Yeah. No, I was in my 20s when that came out, and I went and saw it brand new, and it was a riot. I mean, I loved it. It was great. It's, and it's, it's you're right. style of comedy. You know, it really is. Yeah. It's like a specific voice. And I would say you're right. The sequels don't hold a candle to it. I think it goes right from the first one to the last one. In my opinion, the next best one is Christmas Vacation, which is the yeah. last one they did. Actually, no, they right. did uh, Vegas Vacation after that. That's right. Yes. How good was that? If you don't, I don't mind, know I how big that. of a release that got, or if that I was more like theater. A... And I, yeah. I went, and I remember sitting there with a straight face for, through the whole movie, and I was so disappointed. I know yeah. people oh, are younger love it because that's probably the first one they saw, but boy, Papa Giorgio. Yeah, we definitely had a love for it in our house. Um, it, it, it's a different vibe. You know what I mean? It really is. I mean, you gotta think this original was. John Hughes at his sharpest, Harold yeah. Ramis at his finest. It's like it is a who's who of comedy legends of the time. And it's the perfect marriage between a director and a writer. I I, I mean, it's it's so yeah. well executed. And, you know, the laughs that you have and the moments that stick with you, it's it's kind of unbelievable. But you know, for those who don't know, Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, 
take their family across the country to Wally World for uh, vacation, and the madness ensues. <laughs> oh my gosh! I hope we get a wood paneled uh, Chevy or a station wagon coming out because that would. Just... Oh my gosh! There is the wagon. One. The wagon. The wagon queen family truckster. <laughs> That's in, right. In metallic P. <laughs> There is That's one. Right. I've seen pictures somewhere in either the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania region. There is one that like yep. shows up. So that would be fantastic. <laughs> just rolled in with that. Would not put it past our fans to show up uh, in a screen accurate vehicle. And I'll tell you what, I was so happy when they made Christmas Vacation because since the sequels weren't that good, when they did Christmas Vacation, I thought they nailed it. I thought they finally got it back. Oh, oh, it no. is! It's the the number one Christmas movie in our. It's house, the second. It's the second best one. Yeah, it's the second yeah. best one. Yeah. I just love it because you know we watched that as a kid. You know, growing up, and it, there's some raunchy moments in that movie, and yeah. it it really works on that level. As does uh, the original Vacation. That's yeah. That, the 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 lampoon staple is we're just going to push the envelope a little bit. You know. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh, really excited, like I said, as we lean into our authors and our writers, we jump into our screenwriter series with the one and only Carl Gottlieb, screenwriter of Jaws, The Jerk, among others. But we are shining a light on Jaws and The Jerk as a perfect double feature on the 23rd of June. Don't need to say much about Jaws. That's one that, you know, those of you guys that are fans of the Mahoning, that's how we launched this retro ship with Jaws and Jurassic Park. Jaws is the movie which will draw people every single time you play it. I argue we could play it probably once a month and it would still draw. <laughs> it is the most played film. I would love to see the stats. Universal is has probably never stopped making money on this movie because it plays all the time constantly and we talked to the to our caswell cook at the uh, misquamacut drive-in in rhode island and he said the same thing they play it at least once a season as well as jaws 2 which carl also wrote and he said it packs every time especially for them because they're across the street from a beach so you know it totally makes sense for them you know we we show we're showing jaws and the jerk this is actually a double feature that carl gottlieb had talked about wanting theaters to do and figuring you get the scary one first and then you release all that tension and energy by having a laugh like you leave the theater happy with the jerk and also if we reverse the order we would be saying we're playing uh jerk and jaws and that doesn't sound like a movie <laughs> it doesn't sound like something we can legally get away with so uh, i didn't think about that one that was well placed <laughs> jaws is great with a capital g carl gottlieb is in the movie he plays i believe uh somebody on the town council or a reporter or something like that yeah. and he wrote the jerk and he plays iron balls mcginty in the jerk the one and and i think we should be pushing that hard that come out and meet iron balls mcginty <laughs> because he's he's in one of the the jerk is so funny the jerk is a movie i grew up watching on tv and, and eventually renting and suddenly it was a whole other movie when you could see it uncut and uh it's these are two great movies together carl has this huge history in hollywood he was part of this uh uh, improv comedy team, sketch comedy team called The Committee, which Howard Hessman and some other notable people were in like in the late 60s. He was a writer for the Smothers Brothers show. He wrote Dr. Detroit. He wrote and directed Caveman. Uh, he actually wrote Jaws 1 through 3. And he wrote this book called The Jaws Log, which was a making of book, which was a bestseller in its day. I've got a paperback copy of it. And Infamous. Infamous. there's a new edition of that that he'll be there signing, selling and signing copies of The Jaws Log. 
And honestly, like Jaws, as many people say, created the blockbuster. The love and fandom around Jaws is insanity. And when that book came out, it was instantly a hit because everybody wanted to know the inside story of the making of Jaws. How did they pull this off? How was this movie so effective? And I mean, that's worth mentioning for anybody who hasn't seen Jaws in a while. I went and saw the uh, remaster with my dad over the off season. The 3D? Yeah. Uh, You know what? I don't know if it was 3D. Okay, because there was a 3D ratio in the off season too. But it was definitely a remaster because this thing looked so incredible. But this movie, even after all of this time, has you on the edge of your seat. You know, it's 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 filmmaking at its best. It's tension filmmaking at its best. And you guys know it. We got to see, you know, the birth of um, uh, a genius in Spielberg with this puppy. So, right. Did you guys have a theatrical experience with this movie? I so wish that I could have experienced this like when it came out and went through that fandom. Yeah, I first saw it when it was brand new. I was a teenager, not even my 20s. I was a teenager when it came out. And I was fortunate enough, even though it was R-rated, to get in to see it. And uh, I'd never seen anything like it before. I mean, nothing came close to that. I thought, wow, this is just fantastic filmmaking i I thought it was great every now and then a movie comes out and just like presents what a movie can be and i think that this was that movie it just opened up the eyes on you know what entertainment in the movie theaters could contain right and actually this was pg when it came out Back in the 70s, you could do so much in a PG movie. Now it would probably be rated at least PG-13 or R just for the scenes of peril and the tone. But it's got a little nudity, which you could do in PG back then. And it's got a little gore, which you could do back then. But it's not wildly explicit. It's it's really that tension and that terror of something is below the surface that wants to eat you and you can't see it. Yeah, and I don't know if it's ever been done as well. It's It truly is... uh... You know, like I said, you're on the edge of your seat through the entire movie. It's it's so incredibly effective and well done. And, you know, again, anytime that we play it, it just it crushes. It's a beloved film. People love seeing it. And we've been lucky enough the last couple of times we played it. that The prints were gorgeous, except for that one time the print didn't show up. But the uh, you know, the legend with this movie and the Mahoning goes deep and we're really excited to bring the, you know, the person responsible for bringing it to the big screen uh, into the family. And, you know, the jerk, I don't know if we would have ever got to the jerk if we didn't make this pairing. That's one that's just very hard to program and plop on a bill. You know, I probably would have kept pushing for it as a Steve, the jerk and man with two brains. Yeah, nice Steve Martin double. Give us a couple of years. We'll do that because Man with Two Brains is really funny. And Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. It, not oh, a lot of marquee value, that but that's so a much. really funny movie. So, so I, I think there's still gas in the tank for a Steve Martin weekend one day down the road. Yeah. You know, even The Lonely Guy is pretty funny, but nobody talks about that. Pennies from Heaven, if you want to give somebody a really downer way to, to leave the theater. I love Pennies from Heaven so it's much. Good. I talked about it. I, who's the girl in that? Um, um, Madeline Kong? Is it or is it Bernadette Peters again? That's it. I re-fell in love with Bernadette Peters watching that movie in the off season. She is just the uh, 
the sweetest, cutest. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of gas in the tank, um, <laughs> we are heading into what is going to be an epic night with our cannonball run double. Mark, why don't you let the folks know what is so special about this cannonball run series? Okay, uh, uh, Jeff and Virgil, if you need to go to the bathroom or grab a bike, <laughs> I, I've got the next. I got the next forty minutes covered. <laughs> the the right. Cannonball Run is my favorite movie. Period. A lot of people think it's bad. The critics hated it. Whatever. Oh, the Gumball Rally is better. Whatever. I love the Cannonball Run. I saw it at the drive-in at the Claremont drive-in when I was a kid. I saw it multiple times in the theater. I always like to say I saw it three times in the theater as a kid in three different theaters back when you could do that in a small New England town. And it just always captured my heart and, 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 and imagination as the lure of the open road, the lure of driving fast, the lure of getting, I, it, it is no exaggeration to say Cannonball and Smokey are why I work for the Mahoning right now, because they were what made me want to go out and get out on the road and go places and do things. So uh, the Cannonball Run is based on an actual race that was run in the 70s, organized by Brock Yates from Car and Driver magazine. And it was originally a, an it's sort of like a protest to the then new 55 mile an hour speed limit. They were trying to say, look, people can drive safely at high speeds and, and not get into an accident if they're good drivers. So the idea was they would drive from the Red Ball Garage in New York City to the Portofino Inn in Redondo Beach, California. And there were no rules. It was whoever gets there the fastest. You would punch in on one coast and you'd punch out on the other and they would come crazy. And a lot of what is in the Cannonball Run, it was made into a movie twice before. It was made into a movie called uh, The Gumball Rally, which a lot of people love, the Warner Brothers movie, which is good. It was made into a movie called Cannonball, exclamation, that was done by Paul Bartel for Roger Corman's New World Pictures with David Carradine. And that's a fun drive-in movie too. But to me, The Cannonball Run's where it all comes together. In 1979, uh, the Cannonball Run race had stopped for a while, and Hal Needham, who had done Smokey and the Bandit with Burt Reynolds and Hooper with Burt Reynolds, had said to Brock Yates, let's, let's, let's make another Cannonball movie. And Brock Yates said, there's already been two. And he's like, screw those. We'll make a good one. We'll make the best Cannonball. <laughs> so they actually staged one more race in 1979 in order to basically, Hal Needham just wanted to do it because he was a stuntman who drove like rocket cars and stuff. He wanted to experience the race and get stories for a movie. So the, the ambulance that you see in the film is the ambulance that Brock Yates and Hal Needham with Brock Yates wife nice. as, as the patient. I mean, if you listen to the commentary on the DVD for Cannonball Run, you would be shocked at how much of this movie is fact-based, down to dialogue, down to incidents. Like, a lot of this really happened. There really were two guys in a big old truck, called, one of them called Mad Dog, who I met. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just wild. The cars are amazing. That Lamborghini that opens the movie changed many a life. Uh, you've got Sam, the cast is, you want to spend 20 minutes going through the cast, Burt Reynolds, Farrah Fawcett, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, Jamie Farr, Dom DeLuise, it's Adrian Barbo. It's, it's really, yeah. The yeah. first time I showed this to a friend of mine who'd never heard of it or seen it, the the names just kept going and they just started cracking up. It's like this cast list is never going to end. It's <laughs> it's just pure fun. And it's a car movie. And I always say there's nowhere better to watch a car movie than at a drive-in with your hands on a wheel. So what we have is Cannonball Run 1981, Cannonball Run 2 1984, which isn't as good, I will say, but it is still fun and funny and packed with stars. And you've got a limousine driven by an orangutan with Mel Tillis and Tony Danza in the back. Need we say more? Need we say more? That gets pulled over <laughs> by a pair of cops played by Don Knotts and Tim Conway. Come on. Come on. Come on. And it's, by the way, <laughs> the Cannonball movies were produced by Albert Ruddy, 
who produced the Godfather. The that. man who brought you the Godfather <laughs> brought you the Cannonball. Movies. And there's a, a pretty extensive Godfather spoof in Cannonball 2 uh, featuring uh, Charles Nelson Reilly. Um, anyway, so we're you running those be movies. Versatile. You got to be versatile. I am somewhat connected in the Cannonball community. So we're going to have, I don't know the number yet, but we're going to have cars coming out who actually have made a Cannonball run. Some of them more recently, maybe even a record holder for more recently. Uh, there was a thing called One Lap of America, which is what the Cannonball evolved into, which was more above board. It was like a rally. Cars would go from track to track and then do some laps and keep going. There's a car that ran in the one lap that's coming out that still has all the stickers from those races on it. We have, I, I guess I can spill the beans here. I believe as of this recording, we will have a video introduction from Adrian Barbeau. Come on, folks. Yeah. And we will have some extremely rare footage on the screen. I'm connected with uh, Mr. Garo Hasek, who is doing a pod. He's not doing a podcast. He's doing a documentary series about the Cannonball races and movies. His father raced in the Cannonballs and New Brock Yates. He's very connected. He's helping us out with this show. He has a preview of his new documentary we'll be playing. And I can't say what it is, but something that I sought after for decades in terms of rare Cannonball video that is unique Cannonball video that we will be playing either after the movies or during intermission or something like that. So it's going to be, it's going to be like the monkeys event. I did. I'm throwing myself a party <laughs> and saying, yeah, and y'all are invited. <laughs> yeah, everybody else is invited to pay a little and enjoy this, but people yeah. who have cannonball cars, we're saying they get in free if they, if they register with us in contact. So we're going to have a display of actual cars from the cannonballs. And I'm still actively every day working to make this the coolest show I can for me and fans of these <laughs> movies if you don't care about all the races and all the hoo-ha these are two great movies that are funny you've got roger moore playing a guy who thinks he's roger moore you've got the oh, yes. martin the cars of the stars uh i just i can't say enough so i'll stop talking i can't wait for this you know and and yeah. this has been our mode over the last couple seasons is you know, if we have somebody who's connected with a certain fandom, we we partner with them. We try to deliver the finest fan experience possible. And having Mark responsible for this one, just like the Monkeys event last year, it's in the perfect hands. And you know, it's it's truly being organized by a fan. And that's really what the Mahoning's about. You know, it it doesn't matter if it's the biggest blockbuster on the planet. Doesn't matter if it's more niche. As long as we tap into that fan base, let them know we're doing this thing, they're going to come and have the greatest time. Um, yeah. And we're really, really psyched about it. And I will say that this uh, the Cannonball Run almost never plays in theaters. It was one of the biggest movies of 1981. It has rarely played since it came out. Cannonball 2, I don't think, has ever played since it came out. And I don't know if there has literally ever in the history of the world been a double feature of two, these two movies together. I love that. Breaking new ground. Yep. at Mahoning. Yeah, it's uh it's one that is is truly a gift and you know, anytime that we can marry the car culture and the drive-in culture which are one and the same, it's just uh, we're ahead of the game right out the gate, you know, no pun intended. So we we continue our music series, which is one of our favorite things to do here at the Mahoning with a, a screening of Rock 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 and Roll High School along with a punk rock vinyl flea market on Sunday, June 25th. And we could not be more excited. Not only are we hosting a vinyl slash punk rock flea market, which the Sunday markets have been going incredibly well, but we also have a cover band coming out, a Ramones cover band, right, Mark? 
Yes, they are called Take It, Dee Dee. It is a Ramones cover band from New Jersey who's going to be gracing the uh, stage or the screen under the screen. They'll be playing it fast and loud that night. It's going to be great. I mean, you know, the movie is one thing. The Ramones are a whole other vibe. Our good friend and fan Dave Wright connected us with the Ramones cover band, and it couldn't be more perfect, you know, when it comes to our loves you know, it's movies, it's music, it's, you know, the drive-in culture, and this really marries all those things together. And the three of us are record heads. So yeah. anytime you invite record vendors to come out on the lot, it's it's going to be a special night. <laughs> we try to get there first before we open, basically. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll be clamoring at the table. <laughs> Where do you guys fall with Rock and Roll High School? Is this one that you guys were able to experience in theaters. It seems kind of like the cult movie. I don't know how big it was in theaters. I was would have been too well. I wouldn't have been too young. I don't ever remember this playing. This is 1979, and I was going to the movies as a little kid in '79 as a five-year-old. But I never heard about it until I saw it in the video store shelves, and I, I rented it, and I just fell in love with it. It's like a living Mad Magazine cartoon. It's super funny. The music is great. The energy is like a Ramon song. It just goes ahead at a 200 miles an hour. The last yep. time we played it, I, I remember just jumping up and down, <laughs> literally, or when I worked in the snack bar, and thinking, you know, we could play this once a month, and I would be happy to watch it. Yeah, it, it delivers in such a way. PJ Souls as the ultimate Ramones fan, and she could not be just more lovable in this movie. We were angling to try to have this be a PJ Souls event, um, and shifted kind of at the last moment, but... This is uh, one that brings out the fandom in a big way. The last time we screened it, we had cosplayers. We had folks going all out. So I imagine that'll be the case when we screen it again. So can't wait for that one. Then we're taking a little trip to Mars, y'all. The 27th of June, Total Recall as part of our Tunnel Vision Tuesday with Exhumed Films. We played Total Recall before for our Verhoeven weekend. Yeah. This thing is a mind bender, to say the yep. least. Sci-fi at its at its wackiest, at its craziest. Uh, yep. Were you guys lucky enough to experience this one in the theater? I wish I could have. Oh, yeah. I ran it when it was brand new. And I also awesome. sat down and watched it. Oh, and it that's was, awesome. Oh, man. Brand new print. You know, brand new soundtrack. Dolby Surround. I mean, it was unbelievable. Great movie. You know, everybody knows and loves different aspects of this movie. Yeah. Uh, insanely quotable. It's really a, a feast. Yeah. Uh, Mark, where, where do you fall on uh, <laughs> on the Total Recall love? Verhoeven, knocking it out the park on this one. I don't know Great. why. I, I was late to this one. I mean, not very late, but I didn't see this in the theater. 1990. I would have been old enough to see it in the theater, I think. I, I don't remember why I didn't see it in the theater. I caught up with it on, on cable or home video and thought it was just great. I mean, it's a at the time, yeah. the effects, nobody had seen effects like that before. And it right. is a mind bender. Like, you don't really know where this movie's going to go. And especially if you kind of go in blind, the, the hard turn this movie takes with Schwarzenegger's character is, uh, yeah. it's amazing. It's the kind of movie that you wouldn't necessarily peg him for if you just read an outline of the story. Because it's a, it is a much more intelligent sci-fi action yeah. movie. Yes. But, uh, yeah. It, Sharon Stone's in it, and she's great. It's just uh, uh -huh. Rachel Ticketon, I believe, is in this, and she's great. It's just uh, it's a solid, fun movie that uh, hopefully you know people are gonna. Hopefully, there'll be people who see it for the first time when we run it. 
Oh, man. I always love that when we get the the first timers or the people bringing their girlfriends or boyfriends to come and yep. experience this movie that they love so much. This is going to blow some minds, literally. And uh, like you mentioned, Mark, there is a true crossover with the love of the Mahoning and the love of practical effects. And this is just top of the game practical effects, stuff that will literally sear into your brain uh, after you watch it. So mark your calendars. That's going to be another great one. And then we finish off June with the return of probably the most requested event, Godzilla Palooza 2 which were branding as Godzilla Palooza Raids Again. Which was the name of the Godzilla sequel in the original run of Godzilla films back in the 50s. Godzilla Raids Again was the second black and white Godzilla movie. And we are so excited to bring this back to the screen. I want to say it was 2019, maybe 2020, when we did Godzilla Palooza 1, and it was a packed house, if I remember correctly to date one of our largest audiences and the love for the big g runs so deep we start thursday with a little pre-show of godzilla versus megalon which is a stone cold classic why don't you give them a rundown on friday mark the 30th we have terror of mecha godzilla from 1975 the original mothra from 61 and godzilla 2000 from 1999 which was the first godzilla movie i was ever able to see in a theater you know i don't hate it it's one of those things like yeah you know like i think uh that that new godzilla that came out when i was younger was was the one that everybody hates, but this actually stands up as a, a great Godzilla movie. It was a legit Toho Japanese Godzilla movie. And, uh, you know, we hadn't had one of those hit U.S. screens, at least widely in the mainstream, probably since Godzilla 1985, if you count that, because even that was sort of heavily manipulated by the U.S. Uh, distribution company. But, oh yeah. yeah, Godzilla was a steady for me as a kid. It was Saturday afternoon, Creature Double Feature on... WLVI Boston's TV 56 every Saturday afternoon there'd be one or two Godzilla movies so the sounds of these movies and their soundtracks and their dubbing and their sound effects they're all just burned into my being and uh, we got a great crowd that last time it was really all ages from like toddlers to the elderly yeah and I think it'll be the same situation as Universal Monsters in that way where it's just one that anybody can come out and enjoy the simple love of watching big monsters smash each other. <laughs> and a lot of these two are CinemaScope or Toho scope, so they will oh, fill our wide screen. Yeah, yep. they're gonna be gorgeous. Um, on Saturday, we jump in with Godzilla versus Kong, Rodan, and Giant Monsters All Out Attack, which is I love that. man melee from beginning to end another great triple feature and honestly like i always say any one of these would be standalone gold but you get so many throughout this weekend four days on godzilla palooza this year any of those pop out for you guys what well let me ask you this do you have a favorite when it comes to the godzilla uh run i know it's tough one of my favorites is godzilla mothra king ghidra giant monster all out attack which is a title that will fit on no marquee anywhere in the world yeah. <laughs> because they, they that was from 2001 it was, it was the one that came right after uh godzilla 2000 and that i believe sort of took the tack to say there was the original godzilla movie in the 50s and now godzilla is coming back for the first time and it, it's more serious 
And it's got some really dark humor, though. Like Godzilla's, I don't want to ruin it, but Godzilla's like walking past a hospital and somebody's in a hospital bed and they can't get out and they think, oh, I'm going to die. And he just walks past and they're like, Whew, and then his tail whips through the building. and <laughs> it's, it's not a benevolent Godzilla in that movie. And you get the multiple monsters. It's a lot of fun. It does do a kind of a silly thing with, you know, the, the Godzilla child in it that's pretty cartoony. But they, they always did that in these movies. But... I mean, King Kong Godzilla is pretty versus Godzilla is pretty iconic. The whole, you know, U.S. theoretically U.S. versus Japanese thing in that there were, right. never was one ending despite despite what urban legends might say. They're just so much fun. Rodan almost nobody ever plays. So that's I'm really so fun. excited to watch that. There's so much love for that. Mothra has its its love as well. But I don't know. Can you beat Godzilla, baby? I don't think <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah, you can pretty easily. Yeah, uh, people will do it on Sunday the second as we close out Godzilla Palooza with destroy all monsters. What a gem! We played this a couple years back for our Tunnel Vision Tuesday series, and it's one that always pulls a crowd. You know, again, the love of the big G. It doesn't fall short at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. So, really excited to be bringing that one back. So much going on. Whenever we go over these calendars, it's like, oh my goodness, this could yeah. be somebody's full season, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're jamming it all into one one month. So this is only our second full month of operation. Just remember insane. that. This is yeah. insane. Yeah. And that's why. Whenever uh, you know, whenever things kind of hit the skid, I'm just like, all right, we're gonna go focus on our other two hundred events that we gotta put on this year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're just getting we're just getting started. Just getting revved up. So for those of you guys that are just discovering the Mahoning Drive-In Theater, we so, so appreciate you for taking us into your heart. As you know, our whole mission is now to shine a light on the drive-in culture, preservation of 35 millimeter, and every single person that comes on board with this movement, you have no idea how far it goes. And we're so excited. I'm going to spoil it here, but... Uh, we had a meeting today with Kodak Film. We're officially sponsored by Kodak Film, which, you know, to think when we started this thing in 2014, looking out that door, waiting for at least one car to show up on a Friday or a Saturday, that we would have giants of the industry coming to us and really appreciating what we're doing for the culture and to spread the word and all that stuff. So really excited about this partnership. And it comes with some really fun stuff for the fans too. We're talking about, doing some co-branded swag we're going to have some co-branded merch available at the merch table so stay tuned but i just wanted to put that out there and thank the good folks at kodak for taking us into their heart just as much as the fans have so again guys mark the calendar lots coming up mahoningdit.com for all the dates the deets and the tickets and uh hopefully we'll see you guys under the stars at the mahoning very very soon Absolutely. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you. And on that note, I think, uh, Jeff, take it away, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for coming out tonight to the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. The exit is on the right-hand side of the screen at the front of the field, and most importantly, have a very safe trip home. Good night, and God bless you. <laughs>